While Jesus was travelling around sharing good news, he met a guy who was in total torment. We don't even know his name, but what we do know is that life for him must have been just one awful day after another. In this message, we look at what was a pretty spectacular encounter with Jesus and the way that the trajectory of this guy's life was changed in a day. And the story doesn't necessarily end as everyone would expect, but ends in a way that actually can be quite encouraging for those of us who live much more ordinary lives. Today we have a rather wild story that several of the Gospel writers tell. And it's found, well, we're going to read it in Luke's version, in Luke 8, 26 to 39, and then have some reflections about that. It's a pretty crazy story. Some of the things that Jesus did and some of the things that Jesus said are quite challenging. And some of the bits we would quite happily skip out of the Bible, but you know we're always going to miss out on something if we do that. So uh, this is a fairly wild story here in Luke 8. And 26 to 39, we're going to read it first, then we're going to have a little chat about it. They sailed to the region. This is Jesus' disciples and Jesus. They were traveling around, uh, sharing the good news about the kingdom of God. And they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived amongst the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What's your name? Legion, he replied because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. And those tending the pigs saw what had happened, and they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man with whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with them. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. So here's this guy who's terribly, terribly tormented. He's not wearing any clothes. He's just acting like a crazy guy. They're chaining him up and he seems to have supernatural strength and he's breaking his chains. and, And it's just a terrible situation. And no one knows what to do about it. Jesus turns up and recognizes there's something going on beyond the normal realm. There is something going on behind that. And he commands the spirit to leave. And the guy is set free. And 
at the end of the story, we find him sitting there peacefully at the feet of Jesus in his right mind and just wanting to follow Jesus wherever Jesus was going. So that's the story. So a little bit of a chat about that. So one of the things that's clear in reading the pages of the Bible is that there is a supernatural world. There's a supernatural world in all kinds of things. Now, we explore the natural world, but even so, there's much of the natural world that we don't understand. I remember going to, I think, back in the day when our kids were small, we went to this place up in uh, Auckland. I think it was called Micro World. And it was quite fascinating because they showed you all sorts of stuff that the human eye couldn't see. They showed you all the little animals that lived in the pores of your skin. And it was like, oh, how creepy is that? And it was all sorts of stuff that we just can't see with our natural eye. And that's in the physical realm. But the Bible tells us that there's also a spiritual realm, which often we don't see into. It would appear that it's almost, there's a sense that it's in a different kind of dimension. And they believed in the New Testament in a supernatural world. They believed in a heaven that you could go to. It was a place where God's throne was Located. It's a place where the resurrected Jesus is physically located right now. Physical resurrected Jesus in this place that we call heaven. It's the place where currently non-resurrected humans live. It's a place that's filled with angels and living creatures and all sorts of things beyond which our minds could even begin to imagine. And New Testament Christians believed, and we do today, that this heaven, this heaven is one day going to be reunited with earth. In Revelation, we see a picture of heaven coming to earth and God again dwelling with people. And, and this is going to have such a profound effect on the earth that there's going to be no more sorrow and there's going to be no more tears and there's going to be no more death because it's like heaven has come to earth and all things are made new. So this is New Testament Christianity believing in this this awesome spiritual world, and that right now we get to taste of the powers of the age to come. But there's also reference to this dark side of the supernatural world as well. Uh, perhaps not such an encouraging or inspiring thing to think about, but yet it's referenced there in the New Testament that there's a dark side to the spiritual world. There's reference to the devil and his angels. There's uh, Jude and Peter both talk about angels who didn't keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling and that they are now being kept in darkness and bound with chains waiting for the day of judgment. And so there are all sorts of just references to this dark spiritual world that exists as well. And then the stories like this one. And as Jesus was going around, he often seemed to come across people who had what they called unclean spirits many times, impure spirits in this translation. And Jesus would command these things to leave a person's life, and then they were set free of whatever affliction that they had. So something that I can't give you a definitive answer to is actually what are these things? What are these things, these unclean spirits? What are these things that are tormenting this poor man? Some believe they're kind of like fallen angels, but that's more of a church tradition than anything that's really located in Scripture. You can't really see a connection between fallen angels and these unclean spirits. They seem to be in quite different categories. Um, I did hear a teaching when I was a 
a younger Christian, that they, they're the spirits of a pre-Adamic race. That, that seems a little bit out there. And you're having to stitch together some fairly random bits of Scripture to, to bring that to pass. And there doesn't seem to be a real definitive answer. Something that was commonly believed in New Testament times came from the writing of Enoch, one of the ancient Jewish writings and quoted by Jude. And Enoch believed that the demons or the unclean spirits were actually like the disembodied offspring of angels that had left their proper abode and gone, gone into rebellion and the daughters of men. And, uh, and that they had, had offspring and now the unclean spirits are the disembodied spirits of that offspring. In actual fact, there's a writing found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls that talks about demons being the offspring of man and the seed of the holy ones. So it's quite an interesting story in Enoch. It talks about these angels that came to earth and they were, their job was to be like watchers, to watch over men. And they, and they took on apparently some sort of like a human form. And, then some, and some of them, they left their proper place of authority. They left the thing that God had called them to do. And then they kind of intermarried with the daughters and had these offspring. And, and so, so the story goes. Um, and then there's a lot of people who say, and around about, I think, the fourth century, the church started to move away from that kind of belief and thought that was just a bit out there. And so there's no definitive answer. But one thing is clear, that it's not a good thing to have these things about, and you're a lot better off without them. So here's the story, that a bunch of these spirits, wherever they originated or came from, they were up to no good, and they'd got a hold of this guy, and he was in terrible Torment, terrible torment, tearing his clothes off, going around the tombs, driven into solitary places. He was in really, really bad shape. And uh, Jesus turned up. And Jesus seems to have this automatic response when he sees someone in need. He's moved with compassion. Everywhere Jesus goes, where he sees people in need, he's moved with compassion. Whether it's someone who's blind or someone who's sick or someone who's in grief, or whatever the trouble seems to be, he's moved with compassion and wants to reach out and bring wholeness and healing and freedom to those ones who are in need. Even people who are up on a hillside and they've missed a meal or two and they're getting hungry, his natural response is to want to take a small boy's lunch and multiply it so he can feed the people with hungry stomachs. Where he sees human need, he seems motivated and inspired to meet that need. And that's exactly what he was. He turns up, I mean... Like, if, if you turned up in a situation like this and you see this guy, he hasn't got any clothes on, he's going crazy, he's got chains on his arms that have been broken, and everyone's freaked out, you, then you would sort of cross the road, or, or more than one road if you could, to avoid this situation. But Jesus doesn't do that. He just sees a, he just sees a person in torment. He just sees someone in need, and so he zeroes right in on him because he's just attracted to people who are in need because he knows that within himself he has the answer to, to, for wholeness and peace and forgiveness and for freedom because in him is everything that we need. And so he goes straight up to this guy and uh, starts to command these spirits to uh, come out of him. 
Now, he's hopelessly, like, he's hopelessly outnumbered. If you wanted to look at a fair fight, he's hopelessly outnumbered. We don't know how many of these there are. They called themselves legion. You know, there's several thousand in a legion. We don't know how many there were, but he was hopelessly outnumbered. But that doesn't faze Jesus because he's the one with the authority in the situation. He's not like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? This is just terrible. It's like because he knows that he has authority and the demons are completely freaked out because they know that Jesus has authority and with a word he can send them away because that's the authority of Jesus. Some people get freaked out by the demonic realm as if it's some sort of even contest between God and the devil. You know what I mean? I wonder who's going to win. Uh, But it's not like that. Jesus with a word can defeat these thousands of demons because that's just who he is. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so, and so he starts to address these things, and they're saying, and they are terrified. They are terrified. They are completely freaked out that the Son of God has come. And they say, don't torment us, don't torment us, and don't send us into the abyss. Uh, could we go into these pigs? Another indication, they're probably disembodied spirits of some kind because they want to go somewhere, want to be in something or someone. And Jesus, for reasons best known to himself, said, all right, go into the pigs. Here's another cartoonist who's uh, drawn the pigs. There we are. The pigs are not happy. And the pigs just went crazy. They went as crazy as the guy. The guy had been crazy. Now the pigs are going crazy, and they're rushing down the steep bank, and they get drowned in the, in the water. And then all the people who are looking after the pigs are freaked out. I think there was about 2,000 in the herd of pigs. He's lost all these. That's a lot of pigs. I mean, that's like, it's just like your whole farm. It's like all your cows just rushing over a bank and drowning. It's like you lose them all in a day. It's, so they're freaked out. And they just, they just want Jesus to go away because there's just too much trouble. And the stuff is happening that they don't understand. But what we do know is, in that moment of time, when Jesus exercised his authority and commanded these unclean spirits to leave, the guy was instantly made well. He was instantly healed of his affliction. And the next time you see him turning up in the story, he's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, He's got his clothes on now. And he's sitting there peacefully at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. Sanity had completely been restored to him. And he's at peace. Man, peace is a a priceless gift. If you've ever known a day where you don't have peace, when you are racked with anxiety, when you are not necessarily in legion situation, but where you're so anxious that you're frightened or you're paranoid or you're so churned up that you're vomiting or dry retching or you're shaking or you're, you're really freaked out. If, you, if you've had a day when you have no peace, I've had days like that when I've had no peace. And when you have peace, when the Prince of Peace comes along and gives you his peace that passes all understanding, it is like this priceless gift And this guy who nobody else could help was given the gift of peace and rest. Man, that is just so absolutely fantastic. His life was changed forever in that moment of time. So what can we learn from this story? Firstly, it's another lesson of the Gospels of understanding Jesus' authority. He demonstrated his authority in so many different ways. He did it by healing the sick. He did it by forgiving those that had sinned. He did it by raising the dead. He exercised his authority by stilling the storm. Wherever he went, he exercised authority. And there's another demonstration 
that he is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. The one that you have pledged your life to follow is one who's in charge. And so you can feel secure with him. And the other lesson that we've already touched on is the way he used his authority was to bring benefit to others. Out of compassion, he always brought benefit to the people that he came into contact with. He saw this guy in need, he gravitated towards him, and he set him free and changed the course of this man's life. So that's how Jesus is motivated to us when he sees us in need, when he sees us feeling weak, when he sees us feeling insecure, when he sees us struggling with different things. He works in our lives in the same kind of way, using his authority to bring wholeness and wellness to us as well. And there's a lot of people groups around the world still who live in real fear of spirits, who are they just think the spirits are going to get them any moment. And so they're living their lives, trying not to anger the spirits or trying to appease the spirits and living in fear of the spirits. And even as a young person myself, I kind of looked like that in my later teens because some of the dumb stuff I got involved in, we became aware that there was a, a dark side to the spiritual world and that we had moments where we got completely freaked out, anxious and paranoid about it. I used to carry a cross around for quite a while because hoping that would kind of keep me safe. And uh, so a lot of people live in fear of spirits and work hard to appease them unless some violence or uh, whatever is unleashed on them. But as Christians who have given our lives to Christ, we should come, I believe, from a completely different perspective. If we have given our lives to Christ, then we should feel, of all people, completely secure, completely safe, because we are serving one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So I don't think there's any, any need for concern or anxiety about the situation. And more than keeping us safe, Jesus told his disciples, in my name, you will, you as well, you will cast out demons. So he's saying that not only will I use my authority to keep you safe so you don't have to fear these things like other people do, but also I'm giving you some of my authority. So should you strike a situation like this, you can use some of my authority to actually set others free. And so it comes from a whole different perspective. James 4, 7 says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Really strong language that James uses here. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. He doesn't say... Well, you know, you'll have this big battle and he might leave or might back off it a little bit or who knows what will happen. It says, no, submit God, resist the devil, and he will not just back off a little bit. He will flee because that is the natural response to the darkness that the darkness has when confronted with the light of Christ. It dissipates, it flees, it goes. So I think of all people we should have a, a confidence in this area. When Christians become aware of this dynamic, then at least two things can happen. One is good, and maybe one is not quite so good. And one is that people can get set free, and that's awesome. I know I was set free from a lot of fear and anxiety around this area, and I've known others who've received prayer in this kind of an area, and it's released 
released them from a lot of you know, issues and anxiety, and they've come into a place of peace and rest like this guy did 2,000 years ago. So that is absolutely awesome, because once you realize the authority of Jesus, it can bring you into a place of safety and peace and can help others come into a place of safety and peace as well. So that is a good thing. And I am extraordinarily thankful for that. On a personal level, this has made a huge difference for me. The thing that can happen in churches that get a hold of this that is maybe not so good is that it's easy to start going over the top. It's easy to start getting a little carried away. You see demons behind absolutely everything. And I know that I've seen people who are being prayed for for deliverance hour after hour day after day, and in some cases, year after year, it seems like their whole life is just one big deliverance session. They're always asking for deliverance, they're being prayed for deliverance, and they're just obsessed with this kind of demonic realm. And in actual fact, mostly, they don't need any deliverance at all. Because if they did need deliverance, and someone prayed with some authority in Jesus' name, they would be set free, and it wouldn't have to go on day after day, hour after hour, year after year, because the name of Jesus is powerful enough for these things to flee. So if it's just never being resolved, then you just it's just someone's anxiety or someone's belief system. They're just getting wound up in this thing. And, uh, and I have certainly seen Christians do that. And I've also seen Christians seeing the demonic behind everything. Oh, you've got a mental, you've got a mental health issue? That'll be demonic. You, you have epilepsy? Oh, that'll be demonic. They see kids and they say, oh, you've probably got demons, you little children. And they're just freaking people out left, right, and center. And then, then, and then they'll pray for someone and nothing happens. And it's like, well, not only have you told me you, I've got a demon, but you can't even do anything about it, which leaves you feeling completely exposed and vulnerable. Then you're getting paranoid and anxious and uh, I've got these demons and no one can get rid of them, and then what do you do? You're all just anxious and wound up, and then you've got all the symptoms that seem to be look like you have got really a problem because you're just anxious and paranoid and wound up, and you, do, and you don't know what to do with yourself. And that can happen, and that is just crazy. It's like we're out of nothing, we're generating a problem. You can even do that in the counseling realm. I remember seeing a program about multiple personality disorder, and there was this guy who went to see his psychiatrist, and uh, he, he had mild depression, which is actually normal. It's normal for people in their lives to ha have periods of mild depression. This is normal. And he described he just had some mild depression, but he, he wanted some help with it. So he went to see a psychiatrist or a counselor, and the counselor decided that he had multiple personality disorder. And by the time the counselor had finished with this guy, he was manifesting about 20 different personalities. One minute he's a lady, next minute he's a child, next minute he's an old guy. It's like he, was a, he, was, he couldn't work. He was a complete wreck after being counseled. And so it can happen in the secular realm as well as in the, in the church realm that sometimes our belief system can project on people all sorts of problems that never existed in the first place. So it's really important to kind of pull back from the extremes on this kind of stuff and keep really, really grounded. It's not that this cannot be an issue, but if it is an issue, if there is a problem, then that can be resolved easily. And then you can move on with your life in safety and security. As we come to the end, because it's time to finish, a little, just a little bit of a postscript to the story, which I kind of found interesting when I was reading it. After all of this spiritual activity, 
after all of this stuff of this guy, you know, he's racing around the tombs and he's in torment and things are not cool and then he gets set free and then he's sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. He just wants to stick real close to Jesus. That's why he's sitting there at his feet. This is the guy who's made me safe. This is the guy who's changed my life. This is the guy who's helped me. I want to stick with him. I'm going to hang on to his feet. I'm going to wrap my hands around his ankles and I'm going to go wherever he is because he is my, he's the one who's going to keep me safe from here on. So he, he could have imagined the end of the story that he was now going to be one of Jesus' disciples and he was going to be now part of this traveling band and he was going to be traveling around the countryside with Jesus. Maybe before Jesus gets up to preach, the guy could get up and say, hey, I was the guy... You know, you, you would have heard stories about me. I was there at the garrisons and I was raging around the tombs and I was never wearing any clothes and, you know, the chains couldn't bind me and Jesus came and set me free. You need to listen to this guy. Then Jesus gets up to preach the message. And you could imagine that he could have thought that maybe he could be part of the traveling road show with Jesus and his disciples. Or even we could think that would be the ultimate and ideal answer. Now that this guy would now join Jesus' disciples, would leave everything that he knew in the past and he would go on the traveling roadshow as a disciple of Jesus. It seems to be a, a quite, a, quite a good resolution to the story, and that's what the guy wanted, and he said, I want to come with you. And you would almost expect Jesus would say, well, come and follow me. But he didn't. He says, no, go back home. Go back home and tell the people back at home the good things that God has done for you. Kind of interesting. There's a couple of things around that. And I, I like the fact that this is an honoring of a normal life. Because the disciples who were on the road weren't really living a normal life. You know what I mean? They're on the road with Jesus. They were specially chosen for that. They were traveling from town to town, and they were preaching the gospel. They were healing the sick, and they were doing all this kind of stuff. But here Jesus is honoring a normal life, spending time with your family, spending time at work, doing normal things, and in the course of your normal life with your family and going to work or getting an education, in the course of your normal life, you seek to make a difference, and when you have opportunity, you share the good things that God has done for you. And I kind of like that, because most of us have normal lives, you know, when we go and do normal jobs. And sometimes people think, man, I, 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 wanna, I want more than that. I want to go and do something you know, I want to go and do something a little more radical than a normal life. I want, to find some, I want to find some meaning in my life. So I'm going to, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to leave my hometown. And I'm going to, I want to go and do something extraordinary. And sometimes God calls you to do that. There are times when that happens. But mostly what we're called to do is to find significance within the normal things of our life. Not to rush off somewhere. I've got to go to China to find some purpose. It's finding purpose in what we're doing right now, being salt and light within our family environment, being salt and light with our friends, being salt and light in our workplace, finding a satisfaction and finding purpose and meaning in the normal things of life. And this is what God was calling this guy to do. You don't have to join the traveling roadshow. Go back home. Be with your family. Get a job. And when you have opportunity, share the good things that God has done for you. And it's this honoring of a normal life that I think is really, really important. Nico read a, read a really great study. I had to leave partway through, unfortunately, but yesterday in the Bible study, excellent study about the value of work. I thought that was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. 
in, in our work, we take the God-given talents and skills that God has given us, and we use them not only to do something worthwhile and fruitful, but we do that to gain an income for ourselves and for our families, and we also do that to serve other people. And so we've got people here who are serving others in the work you do. You're serving if you're a nurse, if you work for the mail department. How is anyone going to get a letter unless someone's working in the mail department sorting the mail and delivering the mail? You'd be waiting, waiting. Well, I want to hear from Auntie Edith. I haven't heard anything because all the, all the mail workers, have just, it's just to have, they're just having a prayer meeting all day. We'll forget the mail. We'll just pray. We'll do something. No, but you're serving God sorting the mail. Nico's providing meat for the world. You're eating meat because of Nico. And uh, as, as Blake is providing milk. And, uh, and Rowley's providing power. Man, you know, what happened? You know, you'd be freezing to death in the winter unless Rowley was connecting your power. You know? And so our work is service as well. And I think God honors ordinary life. And I, I, I like that about the story. And... The key is to find significance in what we're doing. I was hearing about the guy the other day, actually, um, and he was getting this itchy feeling. He was doing a job. He's getting this itchy feeling. He wanted to go and do something more worthwhile, and he applied for some roles for some things that seemed to be more worthwhile than his current job, and none of those doors opened, and he got really frustrated because he was like, I want to go and do these things of significance, and I'm knocking on the door, and the doors aren't opening, and he was kind of frustrated about that, and there he was just stuck in this job, and then he had this thought, and I think it was like a God thought, you know, what I'm meant to be doing is finding significance in my current role, not looking somewhere else for it, but what I'm doing right now. And then he started thinking, how can I find something of worth within my current role that even goes beyond the actual job that I'm doing, whether that's providing meat or milk or power or mail or whatever it is, industry that you're working in. Um, and then he thought to himself, one of the issues in my workplace is there's a huge divide between management and staff. You know, the, the, the guys who turn up in the nice clothes and sit in the air-conditioned offices and uh, probably get paid a little bit more to the guys who are in the factory who are just getting dirty and getting in and doing the work. And these two groups had nothing to do with each other. It was a, like a class structure within their work. It was like, we are the upper class over here, and we don't have anything to do with you workers over here uh, because we are a little bit better than you. And so we're even going to have our lunch times and morning tea times at a separate time, so we don't have to mix with you, hoi polloi, down there. And uh, that was kind of their attitude. And then the workers were over there, and, uh, and they kind of like probably had some growing feelings towards the management, as workers often do. And, uh, so, and so there was this huge divide between management and, and, and workers who were on the factory floor. And he thought, well, this is not a good thing, because a kingdom principle is all about, you know, everyone's of value, and the one who serves is, is the greatest in the kingdom. He thought, I, mean, I want to bring a kingdom value into my workplace. So instead of having my lunch with the management, I'm going to go and start mixing with the people on the, on the floor who are doing the work and who are getting dirty and are grimy under the fingernails. And I want to spend some time with them and connect with them and befriend them. And I think that's a really cool thing. You might not think that's a big deal. But I think that's bringing kingdom values into a workplace. And he was enjoying doing that. That's being salt and light. And people would see something different then because, because salt's, meant to be, salt's meant to make a difference. And so people are saying, why are you doing that? Everyone's thinking, why are you doing that? 
but he's being salt. He's making a difference. He's changing the culture of the workplace. And when he has an opportunity, he will share the good things that the Lord has done for him. And people will go like, oh, we thought there was something different about you because you're the only guy who wanted to talk to us. And I reckon that's really cool. And sometimes we have this huge divide in our minds between doing the spiritual things that we think is important and doing the normal things that we think are not so important. But I think God wants to, God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives and to live out the kingdom lifestyle inside of everything. So even though we've read this ultra-spiritual story, there is an aspect at the end that says value the ordinary, value your work, value your families, value your education. And when you get the opportunity, share the good things that God has done for you. Let's pray.